Well, uh, great to be with you this morning. I'm going to sit today because I'm pulling double duty, playing a little bass uh, in the band. And if I don't sit, then I won't sit for like four hours. So I'm going to just sit and uh, we'll just we'll have a little coffee conversation this morning uh, in the book of Acts. I'm going to start with my father-in-law. Uh, God rest his soul. He passed away a few years ago. Um, but my father-in-law was a very interesting character. His name was Greg. And he was known for his one-liners. And they were so commonplace within his vernacular that uh, my wife and her brother actually sat down one time and made a list of all of his one-liners. And I'm not sure they got all of them in their process of trying to remember all of them. And I just want to share a few examples with you, things that I had heard him say while he was here on, his, in, in, you know, on earth and things that my wife, of course, heard all the time. You would be walking with Greg or just hanging out with him, and he would just, all of a sudden, he would say, why? And you'd be like, what? huh? You'd be like, why? And eventually, you'd say, what? You'd say, why what? And he would say, why am I so good looking? <laughs> just random, right? And then, uh, if you were trying to fix something, and, and you were like really wrestling with it, he would say to you, almost you know, exclusively, don't Force it. And he was right about that in a lot of areas of life. Uh, Greg would almost always pick up the tab when we would go out to dinner. And then, of course, you would naturally say thank you to him. And his response will be, don't thank me. Thank the good Lord. That, right? And that, there's some good things to that, I suppose. Uh, my wife was known to argue with him a lot. And uh, in the middle of his argument with her, he would say, you'd argue with Jesus Christ, which I think is a little true of my wife. Um, no offense, but it might be a little true. One final example. If, if you were having a conversation and you started to talk about someone who was famous or well-known, Greg was never that impressed. And he would always say the same thing. He says, he'd say, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like everyone else. Maybe you've heard that one before. I mean, there are a lot of other one-liners that are not apropos for this moment right now, uh, if you know what I mean. But I got to thinking about that last one. This week, as I started to prepare for this message, in a world that is in awe of celebrity and fame, the fact is, everyone's pretty ordinary in this world. I mean, no matter how rich or how famous you may become, you still have to put your pants on one leg at a time. Right? It's a fact none of us can get around. There's no getting around it. And yet, I think we walk through life acting as if that isn't true, as if God created us just to be ordinary people who do a bunch of ordinary stuff and then we die. The, the extraordinary stuff, the, the really amazing stuff, well, that's reserved for those who are smart and qualified and rich and famous. That can't possibly be for someone like you, right? Or someone like me. Not so fast, because we are back in the book of Acts as Joe said, and if you're new today, you should know that we started the year in the book of Acts, and we're making our way, slowly though it may be, through this large book in the New Testament. This book records what happened immediately following Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And it tells a story of how the very first followers of Jesus sparked a revolution that changed the world forever. It changed it so much that you and I now gather together and are beneficiaries of what they did after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. It tells the story of what happens when the Holy Spirit, 
The third person of God takes residence in people's lives, and it tells the story of how the first Christians formed a community commonly referred to as the church. So today we're going back into Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in verse 13. By the way, uh, our normal app that we use for this, Uversion, has been having some trouble this weekend, and it will not be, uh, all of our notes won't be on there, but again, great resource, use it. All of the verses today, everything will be on the screen, so you can follow along that way. Or if you've got your Bible with you, Acts chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 13 and following. So just a quick recap on where we've been in the book of Acts. Uh, after Jesus ascends to heaven, after his resurrection, the first followers, they're gathered in this little room. They're frightened for their life. But he tells them, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and they begin to talk about Jesus and his resurrection in a very busy and populated Jerusalem. And very quickly, this small group of ragtag people grows to a few thousand in the city of Jerusalem. And as a result, those who are in power in Jerusalem, the leading priests, the religious elite, they're a little nervous. They didn't like Jesus, they got him killed, and they certainly don't like his first followers. And they see this movement growing right under their nose. And it is cause for concern for them. It is going to take away from their power, from their prestige, and from the respect and celebrity they've gained in the city and the people of Jerusalem. And so they start to make commotion. They start to uh, sort of devise some plans to get after these people, but it doesn't deter them at all. It doesn't deter the first followers. They just keep moving forward. And eventually we see Peter and John, two of the first leaders of the church, uh, go to the temple to worship, and as they do, they find a man who's there, and they heal him, and the man gets up on his feet, and he runs through the temple, and he tells everybody about what's happening, and then he goes out into the courtyards there, and they start telling other people, this is why it happened. Jesus has rose from the dead. He's given us this power called the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John, they, they sort of stand out among the crowds as these people that have authority and they have such great, uh, they're well-spoken, and the religious elite are going, why in the world are these guys talking like this? I mean, they're surprised. Peter and John, they're, they're well-spoken. They're versed in the scriptures, and it leaves the religious council scratching their heads as to how to deal with these two guys. And, and so it is into that situation that Luke, the author of Acts, writes these words, about Peter and John, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says. The members of the council were amazed where they, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. Take note of that passage there. They also recognized them as men who'd been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So, much like in our world today, it, it was known among the Jewish population who were the experts and who were not, who were qualified and who weren't. I mean, the religious leaders of the time had been through extensive training and study in order to be considered qualified to teach and interpret the scripture. Even the future religious leaders were known among the people, those who were being trained and equipped to be the future rabbi and religious leaders in their 
their community. They, they were following this leading teacher of the time. They were learning and being equipped to do what one day the religious elite are doing today. But even they had been through years and years of training and study to even be considered somebody who could speak upon and interpret the scriptures. Which is why this leading council, this religious elite among the Jews, is so confused and perplexed by Peter and John. And here's why. Because if we look back at who Peter and John really are, we find something out that's really interesting. Matthew chapter, chapter 4, we are introduced to Peter and John. And this is how Matthew describes them. It says in verse 18, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water where they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called out to them. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and father behind. Peter and John, they're not in school. They're not getting their post-secondary education right now. Right? They, they, they're fishing. They, they, they're done with school. They weren't part of the group that got selected to go on and learn more and more and be trained to be a religious leader in their day and age. They were left behind because of that they just went back to work whatever their family you know, work was. And for them, it was fishing. I mean, these were rough, tough, callous, hands, smelly guys with very little education. Yet, at some point, Jesus decides, hey, you're going to be my followers. I'm going to train you up, and I'm going to equip you to do things you don't even, you're not even sure about right now. You ever get picked last for something? Do you remember when, like, you'd go to the playground, and, you know, at least my experience was, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd go to the playground, we're going to play basketball, and so two of the, you know, the, the religious elite, if you will, of the playground would say, I'm the captain, right? And they would stand and they would pick people, right? And how did they pick people? Well, they picked people based on their skill set, right? They'd seen people play, the kids play basketball. And so they picked, you know, the best of the best. They'd say, you, I want you on my team so we can win. And they would whittle down the line and then they'd take, some of the kids that are a little more average. That's sort of where I fell into the camp, just so you know. And then eventually they get to the, like, the last person. You don't get Picked, you just end up with a team, right? You know, they don't really pick you. You just get stuck with a team. And that's how we do things. We, we pick people based on their abilities and their skills and their character. And we say, well, we want the best. And then we'll whittle our way down to the bottom. But this isn't how Jesus chooses his team. I mean, if Jesus was on the playground, he would look at the line and instead of choosing those who were most qualified, he would have chosen the least likely. He'd have chosen the kid or the teenager who had no ball handling skills and said, I want you on my team. I want you on my team. These are very young, inexperienced, and unqualified men Jesus is choosing in Matthew chapter 4, which is why the leaders of you know, the religious council in Jerusalem are scratching their heads going, how are these guys talking about the scriptures like they are? How are they having such an impact 
on the people in Jerusalem. They're just a bunch of fishermen. They don't know anything about the scriptures. They've not been through the training we've been through. But Jesus knows something when he chooses Peter and John in Matthew chapter 4. He knows something that nobody else knows when he chooses them. He knows that time spent with Jesus empowers the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He knows when he calls out to Peter and Andrew and James and John that if you spend time with me, even an ordinary fisherman can do extraordinary things. Jesus isn't looking for those who think they're extraordinary. He's looking for those who know they're ordinary, that they might do the extraordinary. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, those who understand, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like everyone else. Well, they're prime candidates for Jesus' team. Because he knows if they just spend some time with me, they're going to do extraordinary things. Here's the deal. Jesus just isn't that impressed by those who already think they're extraordinary. If Jesus were scrolling through Instagram or TikTok, he'd be scanning for those who are humble, ordinary, and poor in spirit. And I don't know if they're on Instagram or TikTok, but that's who he'd be looking for. He would be scanning for those who aren't looking prideful and boastful because he knows that if in an ordinary, humble person spends time with him, man, extraordinary extraordinary things begin to happen. Fishermen had no business preaching God's word in first century Jerusalem. Even if they had spent a few years with a rabbi, they still wouldn't be qualified or trained correctly. They were so far behind. But the religious elite, this council, had no answers for Peter and John because of one thing. It says that they spent time with Jesus. And that time spent with Jesus, well, it empowered them to do extraordinary things. Before I get too much further down the road on this, can we just talk about how the Bible defines extraordinary? Because it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. It's not what we always think. Extraordinary in the Bible is rarely something that is noticed by many. Rarely is extraordinary something that in, in the kingdom of God that we get tremendous accolade and praise from the world for. In fact, it's rarely even noticed by people. Jesus defines extraordinary in some very curious ways throughout his life. For instance, in Luke chapter 14, 11, he says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a different kind of extraordinary. Matthew 20, 16 says, those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last. Or, or Matthew chapter 20, uh, just a few verses later, it says, as Jesus called them together, and said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Do you know the context of that passage? (laughs) 
the first followers of Jesus are arguing among themselves as to who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus says, you think extraordinary looks like the world, but it's not. Extraordinary looks very different. When you spend time with Jesus, he empowers you to do the extraordinary, but the extraordinary looks really different. Doing the extraordinary in the kingdom of God looks a lot different than it does in the kingdom of the world. Let me just give you some examples of how I think God sees extraordinary. Extraordinary is the teenager who sacrifices popularity to befriend the outcast. Extraordinary is the boss who encourages and equips instead of belittles their employee. Extraordinary is the teacher who takes the time to help the struggling student in their spare time. Extraordinary is the retiree who spends time serving the church using their extra time and their abilities and experience. Extraordinary is the mother who wakes up early every morning to meet with Jesus before her day begins with the kids. Extraordinary is the father who gets on the floor and plays with his kids after a long day. Extraordinary is the employee who works hard and with integrity. Extraordinary is the person who gives a portion of their money back to the mission of God through the church. Extraordinary is the adult who gives up a Wednesday night to hang out with and love middle and high schoolers. Listen, that is extraordinary stuff in the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you right now, there won't be very many people who sing your praises if you start doing extraordinary things. For Peter and John, extraordinary was pretty amazing. They healed people. They watched others come into a new relationship with God through Jesus. But for the thousands of followers in the first church, we don't know much about the extraordinary they did. It was in the mundane, the everyday minute. It was in the in-between moments of life. And yet that kind of extraordinary revolutionized the world. And it all started with just one thing. They spent time with Jesus. Let me go back to our verse, because I don't want you to miss this. It says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They were amazed. They were doing these extraordinary things, but they were just these ordinary guys. And then it says, They also recognized them as men had been with Jesus. That was the only thing they knew about Peter and John. They didn't get it. Ordinary guys doing extraordinary things, but the only thing they knew is that they spent time with Jesus. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to make some kind of impact with their life. I don't know anybody. It's, it's hardwired in us to be difference makers in our world. But we're prone to look for it in all the wrong places. We, we look for it in, in wealth and power and popularity. But the way of Jesus invites us to do extraordinary things that impact our world, not just for today, but eternally. And it all begins with simply spending time with Jesus. If you go out into our lobby, you'll notice we have a wall and it says a bunch of stuff on it. I invite you to go out there and read it. And on that wall is our, our, our vision for this community, to become a, a community of changed lives, 
changing lives. And then there's four other things up there, and these are what we call our mission priorities, where we believe if these four things are true of us, then we will become a community of changed life, changing lives. People changed by the Holy Spirit, people going into the world, changing the lives of others through its power. And one of those mission priorities that stands out out there is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Listen to him. Watch what he did. Watch what he said. Allow his words and his actions to shape our words and our actions. So we want to get really practical with that. Following Jesus is an action. It's a verb. And there's a lot of things that can be incorporated into that. But, but there's a couple of things that we have found that if, if we committed to this as a community, man, we would be walking in step with Jesus in ways maybe we haven't before. And there are two things that you can be doing on a regular basis to spend more time with Jesus. And the first is this, make Sunday a must. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir to some of you. But for many, Sunday is sort of this like optional deal. Right? But there is no greater opportunity for you to spend time with Jesus than on a Sunday morning. And listen, I hear people say all the time, you know, things that I'll hear them say like, well, I don't need to go to church on Sunday, you know, to be a Christian or to follow Jesus. Not true. It's not true. You do. That's how Jesus set this thing up. If the book of Acts tells us anything, it's that we have to gather together and spend time with Jesus. If you want to do extraordinary things in and through your life, you need to be here on a Sunday. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. And look, I can't fully explain it, but there is something powerful in this space on Sunday morning that fuels your life for kingdom work. It seems like you may be able to live without it, but in actuality, you can't. Look, in 20 years of full-time ministry, people fall away from the church, they fall away from faith, not because they became an atheist or they decided to convert to Judaism or, or some other philosophy in this world. They fall away from faith and church because they stopped coming on Sunday. 100% of the time. I could tell you story after story of people who have gone astray in their faith, not because they read something and went like, Jesus is ridiculous, I'm going to follow this, because they stopped coming on Sunday. We work so hard, listen, to make Sunday mornings a meaning experience for you, your kids, your teenagers, the guests that you bring, because we know that it is in this place that our faith is fueled. And I know what you're thinking. You're the pastor. You're supposed to say that, right? Like, that's my job, gather people on Sunday. Look, I need this. I'm not just here every Sunday morning because I get paid to do it. I'm here every Sunday morning because I need this. Sunday must be a must. It has to be a must. And if it's not a must for you right now, I would encourage you, take the next two months and commit to yourself, I'm not missing a Sunday. Two months, not missing a Sunday. And just observe what Jesus will do in your life when you spend time with him here on a Sunday morning. 
The second thing we encourage you to do when we talk about following Jesus is read your Bible. I mean, look, again, you're the pastor. Read your Bible. I get it. Look, but here's the thing. This is our life source when it comes to spending time with Jesus. Sunday morning, in his word daily, plain and simple. Read it. And I don't care how you do it. If you want to use your iPhone or your tablet or your computer, if you want to listen to it, read it, act it out, I don't know how you would do that, but you go for it. I don't care if you use the NIV or the NLT or the KGV. Just read the Bible. Just read it. Even the hard parts. Don't, you don't get to skip through judges, okay? You got to read it, okay? Y'all, some of you know what I'm talking about. Your under, look, your understanding of Jesus and his purpose for your life will expand in ways you never expected. Look, Peter and John, they didn't just walk out into the crowd not knowing anything that Jesus said or did. They studied the scriptures. They listened to Jesus' interpretation. They listened to every word he had to say. They absorbed it. They allowed it to permeate the very core of who they were. And then they spent time with Jesus beyond even his ascension. And what did they do? They changed the world. They changed the world. Look, it's, sometimes we overcomplicate this whole following Jesus thing. I'm telling you right now, listen, I am telling you right now. You show up here on a Sunday and you read your Bible five minutes a day, your life will change. I, and I don't look, I'm not making that claim because somehow I've you know, figured it out. I don't understand it all. I just know it'll happen. I can tell you from my own experience. If I don't spend time in God's word on a regular basis, things just start to fall apart. I'm mean and ornery. Like, I get arrogant. It is me. Trust me. Talk, yeah. Chris, you want to come up and testify? Look, it, it happens, and it happens to you too. You go to work, and you get lazy. Your integrity meter starts to drop. I'm just telling you, this is not rocket science. This is Jesus left it really simple for us. You, ordinary people, just like me, we want to do extraordinary things in this world. If we want to become a community of changed lives, changing lives, then we gotta be here on Sunday and we gotta be in God's word every single day. Do those two things. Do it for two months and just watch. And you know what? If in two months you realize my life is worse. You don't ever have to come here again, okay? You don't, have, don't listen to a word I have to say. Just never come here again. But if it's better, if God, and I don't mean better and like all the work, but like if you feel like God is doing something in your life, just keep going. Just keep going. This past year, I started a, a new Bible reading plan that is, it's completely analog. I've done things like on my tablet and my phone and all that, and that's a great way to do it. It just doesn't work for me because I got... I'm like too distracted by the world. And so I was like, I just need my Bible and a piece of paper. And, uh, and so that's what I've been doing. I use my NLT Bible, which is a great translation because it's really easy to read. If you're like, I don't read my Bible because I don't understand it, come talk to me. I'll get you one that you understand, okay, that you can read easily. This is, it's five days a week. It takes me about 20 minutes to read. On the weekends, I do something a little different, and it's worth every minute that I spend reading. You know what happened to me? I started doing this, like, a lot, 
And at first it felt like, man, I've got to get up, I've got to read my Bible, and now like, I can't wait for, wait for tomorrow morning. I just, I can't wait to again open up what has God got for me today. And seriously, I'm like in the book of 1 Samuel, which is actually a good book, but it's a little like jarring at times. I'm like, what's going to happen today? I mean, if you want to see drama, start reading the Old Testament. We got drama. It is like, it's like a Liam Neeson movie at times, right? And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you again, if you are here on Sunday and you read your Bible five minutes a day, your life will change. And what will happen is you'll begin to realize, like, I can't live without this. Because you'll start to see Jesus empower you to do the extraordinary, to do things you never thought were possible, to love your wife in a way you never thought you'd love her before, to love your kids in a way you never thought you'd love them before, to love the stranger in a way you'd never thought them, to, to view your money totally different than you thought you would before, to view the world totally different than you thought you would before. Listen, there is nothing special about Peter and John. They're nobodies. They're fishermen. Like they, were at the, they were the lowest in society in first century Jerusalem. They just put their pants on one leg at a time like everyone else. But simply for the fact that they spent time with Jesus, that's how they were recognized. The council says, we recognize them because they hung out with Jesus. And now they're doing all this crazy, extraordinary stuff. It's only because they spent time with Jesus they were empowered to do the extraordinary. And listen to me, so can you. So can you. Follow Jesus. Make Sunday a must. Read your Bible. Give it two months. If you're not used to doing it, give it two months. And then come talk to me. Because I want to hear about how God's doing amazing things in your life. Let's pray. What a gift. What a gift it is to spend time together on a Sunday morning. And we are fortunate. We don't have to hide behind closed doors. Uh, we don't have to keep our faith under wraps. There are millions and millions of followers just like us who do every Sunday, every day of the week. And we are grateful for this space where we can come and freely gather and worship you, Jesus. May you help us to see the value and the importance of this time together. May we see Monday or Sunday as a must in our lives. May it revolutionize the time that we have with you and each other. God, may we see the Bible not as just this really ancient book written by a bunch of old men, but to see it as the living word of God as relevant today for us as it was when it was first written. May even tomorrow morning we wake up and crack open our, our Bibles and read of the goodness of who you are. May that time spent with you take us, just ordinary people, put their pants on one leg at a time and empower us to do extraordinary things, Jesus. 
Lord, we, we come to you broken and imperfect and in need of help, and you give us these gifts. Come, gather, worship, learn, be with me. Spend time with me in what I have given you in my word, and may we never take those for granted, God. May we learn to follow you more closely each day that you would empower us to do the extraordinary in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.